Man, I just love watching our baptism videos because it reminds me of our mission as a church, and that is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we saw that last week in a big way where we had six people put their faith and trust in Jesus for the first time in their lives as their personal Lord and Savior. And then we had 12 people follow that up through baptism, that one-time declaration of the decision they've made to follow Jesus. So would you again help me celebrate those people who made that big decision? So um, I'd like to start our service today by praying for those folks. So if you would just join me in a quick word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Let's pray together. Lord, so excited for the, the six people last week that put their faith and trust in you for the very first time in their lives. Uh, Lord, excited as well for the 12 people who uh, were baptized and gave that, that public declaration of the decision they've made to follow you. And so, Lord, I pray for those folks this morning. Lord, we, we pray that, that they would grow in their relationship with you. Lord, as scripture says, we pray that their roots would grow deep in, in how they interact with you and their, their love for you and their understanding of your word. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would get those folks connected into a small group where they really can begin growing in the relationship with you and others. Lord, I pray that you would help them find a place to serve because it's out of serving that we become most like you. So I just pray for those folks that, that they would have this amazing experience of watching you grow them in ways that they never thought possible. And Lord, I pray for us as a church that you would help us be a resource to those folks. There are a number of us that we have close relationships with those people and we have a, a job to do and that job is to help them grow. So Lord, I pray for us as a church family, whether we're in small group with them or we're doing life with them at home or in, in any other context, maybe we're serving with them, Lord, would, that we would just be a resource to help them become all that you want them to be. So Lord, I, I think also this morning about this new series we're starting. I pray that you would speak powerfully today to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for doing that with me. If you're new, my name is Trent, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And you came on a great Sunday because today we're starting a brand new series called Salt and Light. And this series is birthed out of our Easter message last week where I challenged everybody to go out and live and share the story of Easter. And I told you last week that we're going to talk about how we can do that in this series. And this series is based on something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And we're going to begin today talking about what does that look like for us today? And we're going to look at some really big cultural issues that are facing our world and how God wants us to address those issues and actually be salt and light around all those big things that our world is facing. So today's gonna to be kind of an intro, and I've got some props up here today that are gonna to help us intro, introduce the subject of salt. We're gonna talk about salt, we're gonna talk about light, we're gonna talk about what those things do, how that applies to us. And then next week, we're gonna talk about the injustice of human slavery. Now, I don't know how aware you are of that problem in our world. I think we have a, a growing awareness of that. 
But it is estimated that there are 30 million people enslaved against their will today. I don't know if that's shocking to you. That's shocking to me. And and that slavery looks like anything from forced labor to sex slaves. It affects men. It affects women. It affects children. It really affects all of us. It primarily affects women and children, though. And they find themselves caught in a very evil crime, a very evil system where many of them feel stuck, like they can never get out. And so we're going to talk about what would it look like for us to be salt and light in that issue? What would it look like for us to be salt and light in a fight against human slavery? And to help us do that, I'm actually going to interview a human trafficking survivor. And God allowed uh, my path, my wife's path to cross with a a lady from Jacksonville. And for so much of my life, what I thought was, this is just a dark thing that happens somewhere around the world. And the more I've learned about it, the closer it's gotten to home. And I hope you'll come back next week because this this lady that I'm going to interview has an amazing story of God rescuing her out of that lifestyle. And She's going to help us understand how prevalent this issue is in the United States, how prevalent this issue is in Florida, how prevalent this issue is in Jacksonville, even in our own town. It's a problem, and we all need to address that problem. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Now, the week after that, on May 7th, we're going to talk about how to live in a sexually diverse world. So if you haven't noticed... Our world is changing sexually. We have people who identify as heterosexuals, and that's a majority of the population. We have people who not only identify as homosexuals, but we have people who also identify as bisexuals and transsexuals and queer and intersexuals and asexuals. And that group uh, of, of sexual identities continues to grow. And so many Christ followers wonder, How are we supposed to interact with a sexually diverse world? So we're going to talk about that on May 7th. Then on May 14th, we're going to talk about how to live in a politically divided world. And I thought that would be a very appropriate subject to talk about on Mother's Day. (laughs) Moms are always trying to bring peace and harmony into broken relationships. So I thought maybe we'd learn from our moms and how to bring peace and harmony to a politically divided world. And then on May 21st, we're going to talk about how to live in a racially tense world. And, you know, it breaks my heart when I see the racial tension that still exists today, not only um, internationally, but in our own country. It breaks my heart, and it just seems like this is an issue that's just waiting for a spark to ignite. And what is... What does God want us to do? How does God want us as Christ followers to live in a racially tense world? So we'll talk about that on May 21st. Last but not least, on May 28th, we're going to talk about the cost of being salt and light. Jesus was uh, very open about that with, with his followers. He said, there's a real cost for following me. There's a cost for being salt and light. And so we need to understand what that cost means and know how to interact with that as we work hard to follow Jesus and his example in our world. Now, that'll wrap up this series. Now, doesn't this series sound like so much fun? 
And don't you wish you were preparing all the messages for it? I wish you were. That would be great. That would be super fun. I actually wish we could go back and do our um, SOS series again, the Song of Solomon series. That was fun. Anybody want to bring back the microwave and the crock pot? Uh, me too. And we could just postpone this and go back and do that. But I think we need to keep moving forward. This series may not be all that much fun, but it is going to be very practical and very informative on how God wants us to live in our current world. Now, when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he was speaking directly to his followers. So I want you to know that's going to be my primary audience for this series, for today, all the messages in this series. I'm talking primarily to anyone who says, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've put my faith and trust in him. So if that's you, listen up. This whole series, uh, God will be speaking to all of us about how to live as, as salt and light. If you aren't a Christ follower, I am so glad that you're here. And what I want you to do during this series and today's message, I want you to listen for the heartbeat of our God for our world. And so often we Christ followers don't do a really good job of being salt and light in our world. And we don't represent God well to a world that he desperately loves. And so I hope that you'll listen closely for the heartbeat of our God and how God wants us to live as salt and light. And if you're not a Christ follower, I am so glad you're here. I think this series will be beneficial for all of us. Now, when it comes to the big issues that we've talked about, many Christians wonder, what in the world are we supposed to do? You know, what are we supposed to do uh, with the injustice of human slavery? You know, I've, I've been processing that question for years. And I'm not exactly sure how long I've been on this journey of learning about uh, modern day slavery and human trafficking. But for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years, I'm not sure. But every time that issue comes up for me, I have this ache in my heart and I say, God, what do you want me to do? Like, this is a problem. And and I want to do something, but I don't really know what to do. Many Christians feel that way. What are we supposed to do with that? And then we look around our world and we say, what are we supposed to do with the racial tension that's here? What are we supposed to do with the political divide that's here? What are we supposed to do in a world where there's so many different sexual identities? How are we supposed to live? We're not sure. And so we get confused. And here's the reality, though. In our confusion, we're all doing one of four things. As Christ followers, everybody's doing one thing. Everybody's doing something. And here's four things that I think Christians today are doing. The first thing is, some Christ followers are attacking our world. So they believe the best strategy to to get our world back in line, especially the United States, when our world is drifting from biblical values, they think the best strategy is to draw their sword and demand obedience and demand repentance. And so they start attacking uh, our world. And a group that... Uh, kind of highlights this approach is a, a church out of Topeka, Kansas called Westboro Baptist Church. And I'm just curious, anybody ever heard of them before? Okay, a number of you have. 
All right, if you're not familiar with this group, this is a group that protests everything. They protest America. They protest our, our American troops. They protest our soldiers uh, at, when they're having a funeral and, and the families. They protest homosexuals. They protest the Final Four basketball tournament because they believe it's about idol worship. So they protest all kinds of stuff. And they have this message and their message primarily is, God hates you. God hates this group, God hates that group, God hates that group, God hates that group. So listen closely today, because I think God has a different message. I was on their website recently, and I watched a video of one of their pastors who was thanking God for the Zika virus. And he said, I thank God for the Zika virus because it is God's punishment for sexual sin, specifically for people in Brazil. And I'm watching this video going, you gotta be kidding me. Are you for real? And he was for real. And I was hoping to bring a video that you could see, but I couldn't find an appropriate one. I couldn't find one that didn't make me really angry. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't even tell you the name of their website because their website name is so offensive. Now, I know that that's an extreme example of Christ followers who attack our world. But there are many people that kind of follow in that example. There are many Christ followers who have the, the approach of, I need to attack, I need to throw stones, I need to draw my sword. We do that on social media, we do that almost in any way that we can. And we have to ask ourselves, what does God think about that strategy? What does God think about Christ followers attacking our world? So to answer that, I want you to listen to two Bible verses. One is probably the, the most famous Bible verse in the entire world. And one is one of, I think, one of the least known Bible verses in the world. So we're gonna start with John 3.16. Anybody ever heard of that one before? Okay, so if you haven't, and you've, you've been to an athletic event or you've watched an athletic event on TV, you, maybe you saw somebody holding up a John 3.16 sign at a football game or a baseball game. If you weren't sure what that was, here's what it is. John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that, what's the next word? Everyone. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Based upon that verse, based upon other verses like it, I believe God loves everyone. God loves everyone. God loves people who don't love him. God loves people who do love him. God loves people who don't know anything about him. God, God loves uh, people who are tall, people who are short. God loves people who have hair and people who don't have hair. I think God especially loves people who don't have hair, you know, makes his job easier because he doesn't have to count so much. Um, the Bible says that God knows the very hairs on your head, you know, the, the number. So some of us are making it easier for God on the counting part. But, but based on that verse, I think God loves everyone in the entire world. You and I will never look at another person for whom Jesus didn't die and whom God doesn't love. Now listen to John 3.17. John 3.17 says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to, what's the next verse, word? Save. Save. 
but to save the world through him. So God's love prompted him to send Jesus into the world to save us, not to judge us. I'm not saying that God will not one day judge the world. He will. The Bible's really clear about that. His primary judgment on the world at that point will be based upon whether we have received or rejected his love. So one day, God will certainly judge the world. But I would say based upon those two verses that God doesn't want us to attack our world. So we've got to come up with a different strategy. Here's another approach that some Christ followers have adopted. It's the accommodating strategy. So some people say, well, I don't want to attack our world, so I'm just going to accommodate our world. And I think those Christ followers misuse verses like John 3, 17, verses like Matthew 7, 1. Matthew 7, 1 says this. It says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. And so there are many Christ followers. There are many people who aren't Christ followers who know that verse. You're not supposed to judge me. The Bible says so. There are many Christ followers who say, I guess I'm just not supposed to judge the world at all. And so we misuse and misunderstand verses like that and what it means. Jesus showed us, I think, what that means, what that looks like. In John chapter 8, Jesus had an interaction with a woman who was caught in adultery. The religious leaders brought her to Jesus, demanding that he give them permission to kill her. So Jesus standing, looking at all of her accusers with her on the ground. He says, you who have no sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. They started dropping their stones because they knew like we, we, we all have sin. Like we can't, we can't do that. So they all dropped their stones and walked away. Then he turns to the woman and says, uh, where are your condemners? She says, they're gone says, neither do I condemn you. Now, super important part, now go and sin no more. Jesus didn't accommodate her, her lifestyle choice. He said, listen, I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying, don't do that anymore. Make a life change. You have been saved in this moment. So use that. Jesus didn't accommodate our world, and we can't accommodate our world either. Another thing that some Christians are doing is withdrawing from our world. So some Christ followers aren't sure what to do. They look at people attacking. They go, well, that's not good. Look at a group accommodating. They go, well, that's not good. I don't know what to do. So I will take a big step back and I will just withdraw from my world. I will not interact as much as, as uh, I'll interact as least as possible with those pagan people out there in the world. And I'll just kind of create my holy huddle, you know, us four and no more. And it would just be me and, and my Christian friends and our little group. And, and, and we'll just try real hard not to interact with anybody else. And I think when we do that, we forget that God sent Jesus into the world, our messy world to save us. And then Jesus prayed in John 17, just like you, Father, sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. So we can't withdraw from the world that God sent Jesus to save. That leads to the last thing that I think God wants us to do as Christ followers, and that is to engage our world. God wants us to engage our world. That's why he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And Jesus was real famous for using common illustrations and making a point out of those illustrations. And so that's what he was doing in that moment. So I want us today to explore what does it mean for us to be salt? And what does it mean for us to be 
light. So we're going to start with salt. Do we have any salt fans here? Anybody like salt? Anybody put salt on your food before you try it? You like salt. Yeah, yeah, you'll like today then. Um, I'll, I'll have a little salt left over if you want to come up after the service um, just for you. So um, I want us to brainstorm some of the purposes of salt. So if you would, feel free out loud. What are some of the purposes that we now know that salt has in life? So what's that? Somebody said? Preservation. Preservation. Yes. Flavor. Flavor. Yes. Disinfecting. Disinfecting. Great. Healing agent. Yes. Hydration. Dehydration. There you go. Awesome. Anybody else? Snow. Snow. Yeah. So we got a few folks from up north and say, well, that's what we do with salt. We throw it out, you know, to keep the snow clear. All right, great. So good job. So we're going to start with adding flavor. Now, everybody knows that salt adds flavor, right? Like even, you know, little kids understand that salt adds flavor. I was reminded recently just how much salt adds flavor. My wife sent me to the store, the grocery store, to buy some items, grocery items. And it's kind of a scary thing when I go into the grocery store, usually Publix, to buy items because I wander the store all afternoon long. And I usually bring home several things that are not right on the list. So uh, Tammy sent me to the store, and one of the things was butter. Simple, just butter. So I get to the butter aisle, and I pull out butter, and I'm looking at it, and I see two options. There's one with no salt, and there's one with salt. And I'm like, you know what? We're trying to live a healthier life. Like, maybe maybe the no salt would be better. Uh, you know, like, Tammy would probably be excited that I was thinking about our health, and this would be great, so I'm just going to get the no salt. I brought the no salt home, didn't tell her about it, put it in the fridge. Did you get butter? Sure did. Great. So the next morning, I put some butter on my toast, took a bite, and went, what is that? Tammy said, what'd you get? I got no salt butter. That's why. Salt adds flavor. Like, oh yeah, salt radically changes butter. It adds great flavor. So based on Jesus' uh, illustration there, for us as Christ followers, God wants us to add God-honoring flavor to life. Now answer this question. How many Christians do you know that add God-honoring flavor to life? Doesn't sound like a lot. I can't say that I know a whole lot. I can't say that I'm always a Christ follower who who adds God-honoring flavor. This is what it feels like many Christians interact the way that many Christians interact with our world. Hi, I'm a Christian. I can't wait to get out of this God-forsaken place and have Jesus come back and take me to heaven. But until then... Why don't you come to church with me? If you're not a Christ follower, how exciting is that? Not at all. You know, would you want to go to to church with somebody who interacted that way? Absolutely not. So God says, listen, here's the deal. We know that salt adds flavor. You are the salt of the earth. You're supposed to add God-honoring flavor. Do you live that way? Are you passionate about life? Do you wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you for another day where I can live for you? Or do you wake up in the morning and go, oh no, Lord, help me. It's another day. (laughs) How do you live? How do you work? How do you go to school? How do you interact with the world? God wants us to live an abundant life that's overflowing with passion and purpose for life. Do you live that way? If not, you should. You're the salt of the earth. Okay, another thing that salt does is it preserves meat. 
And we've used salt in that context for a very long time, thousands of years. Uh, But I want you to think about how that happens. So how does salt preserve meat? Somebody tell me out loud. what's What's it have to do in order to preserve meat? I heard a lot of, lot of mumbling. Was that, so it keeps moisture out, somebody said. All right, so I'm going super simple. You guys are going a little scientific on me, which is really good. I'm going super simple, okay? So I'm gonna pretend today that this plate is meat. I wanted to bring a big slab of meat, but I thought it would get a little bit messy up here. So this plate we're pretending is meat. And what does salt have to do to preserve it? It's gotta touch it. It's got to come out of the container. It's got to interact with it. Salt has no influence over meat that it's trying to preserve when it stays in its container. It actually has to come out of the container. It has to touch the meat. So for us, if you're a Christ follower, are you having meaningful interactions with people who are not Christ followers? meaningful interactions? Are you building real relationships with them? Are you investing in them? Are you sharing life with them? Are you caring about them the same way that Jesus cares about them? You're the salt of the earth. You're gonna have no influence over anybody who doesn't know Jesus if you are not interacting with them in a meaningful way. You've gotta come out of your container. I've gotta come out of my container. I've gotta be poured out. You've gotta be poured out and we've got to actually touch and interact with meat for that to happen. Now, I'm gonna chase the, the one that was given up front here. So Jesus was not saying this, okay? So in this passage, Jesus was not saying, if you're from up north, throw salt out and it'll help in, in the winter. He wasn't saying that, but I think there's some, some good stuff for us to wrestle with in this one. So uh, wintertime, we throw salt out and what's it do? It helps to reduce the snow, the ice, so it helps to to clear the road for us to drive on. So using that illustration, as followers of Jesus, as salt of the earth, God wants us to clear the highway of life of unnecessary obstacles so people can find God. I think that's one of our primary responsibilities. But here's a sad reality. We have struggled with that for a very long time as Christ followers. Christians have historically made it harder for people to find God, not easier. And we do that in this very interesting way. We like to put obstacles in front of people and say, good luck finding God. And here's some of the obstacles that we put in front of people who don't know Christ. Number one is our lives. Our lives can be an obstacle to somebody finding God. If we're not living the way that Jesus asked us to live, if we're not loving people the way that we should, if we're not forgiving people the way that we should, if we're not asking for forgiveness in those moments when we blow it in a relationship, if we're not working to resolve conflict in a God-honoring way, we can be the obstacle. People can look at the road of life, see God ahead, see us in the way and go, well, I'm not going after your God because you don't live like him. So are you an obstacle to anybody in your life who needs to find Jesus? And I have to ask myself that regularly as well. Am I the obstacle towards anybody? And there are many moments I am. I'm the obstacle. I'm supposed to clear the way, clear the road for people. That's what we are supposed to do. 
Another obstacle that we throw out at people who don't know Christ is how we do church. And I grew up in a church culture, and in the the culture that I grew up in, if you didn't sing the songs that we sang, if you didn't wear the the church clothes that we wore, if, if you violated the unspoken assigned seating rule, that was horrible. I mean, like, you know, if you walked up and like, you didn't know, you didn't see the name on the, you know, that somebody had given money to get a little plaque like on their seat. You didn't know that. And you sat in that, that spot, like you would really mess up somebody's day. And they would let you know that by a glare, by a glance, or by saying, hey, that's my seat. Can you go sit somewhere else? So I, that was kind of the culture that, that I grew up in. And uh, if you didn't know the Christian words that we spoke, you were an outsider, and you probably stayed as an outsider. So if you didn't know words like sanctification, justification, substitutionary atonement, if you didn't know that naturally, and you went like, what does that mean? Then we thought, hey, you're an outsider. So you need to go figure that out somewhere else, and then come back when you know all that, and you can follow all the rules. And it is such a sad reality that we've got this God calling people to him and we are putting obstacles in their way. We are the obstacle sometimes. The way we do church is the obstacle sometimes. Now, this issue of putting obstacles in front of people trying to find God is not a new thing. It's actually been happening for a very long time. It, it, it happened at the beginning of the start of the New Testament church. It happened even before that. Um, but at the beginning of the New Testament church, Christianity started out being just for Jews. Then after Christ's resurrection, the door opened for Gentiles. So if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And we should be so grateful that that door opened to us. And so as the the early movement started to spread around the world to the Gentiles, um, it was an exciting thing. People were super excited about what God was doing. And then there were a group of Jewish Christians who said, time out, wait a minute. We have been following all these rules and regulations, and we now understand it's about a relationship with Christ. And then all of a sudden, all these Gentiles who haven't been following all all of our rules and regulations, they're coming along trying to have a relationship with God, and they're not following our rules. That's not okay. They need to start following some of our rules. And they had a big debate about this. They took it to Jerusalem, had this council meeting with the apostles and the elders, And that involved Peter, the apostle Peter, that involved Paul. So they have this big discussion. And then the half-brother of Jesus, a guy by the name of James. James stood up and said this in Acts 15, verse 19. He says this, this is a super powerful statement for how I think churches should do ministry and try to, to reach people for Christ. He said, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Simple statement, but very powerful. He said, listen, here's, here's the thing, guys. I think we need to clear the road of unnecessary obstacles. There are many obstacles in people's way from them finding a relationship with God that lasts forever through Jesus Christ, and we need to clear the road of unnecessary obstacles. And that's why we call ourselves Epic, a church for people who don't do church. And sometimes people hear that and go, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means we want to reach people who didn't grow up singing the songs that we sang, wearing church clothes or understanding uh, you know, a church language. We want to reach people who Jesus came to save. 
We want to remove any obstacle that we can possibly remove to help them find Jesus. So that verse helps us find our strategy and how we do church. So I think that's part of what it means for us to be salt in our world. Now, Jesus also said something about light. So in Matthew chapter five, verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So let's brainstorm for a moment. What is the purpose of light? Get rid of darkness. Get rid of darkness. Great answer. So we're going to go with that one today. So to, to, to get rid of, of darkness. It, another way you could say that is to help us see. So as it get, gets rid of darkness, it helps us see. So that's our purpose as Christ followers is to help people see Jesus. Now in verse 16, is that verse still there? Can you bring that verse back up one more time? Verse 16 there, it, it tells us how we do that. So how do we do that? So in the same way, let your what? Good deeds shine out for all to see, so they'll praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus says, it's how you live. So people will see our heavenly Father by how we live. Jesus was not saying your good deeds will get you into heaven. Jesus was saying your good deeds will help people see the way to heaven. And that's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we shining our light so that people can see Jesus. Not so that people can see us. It's not about us and our good deeds and us patting ourselves on the back. It's about us living in such a way that people can see Jesus and be transformed by him. Are you living with a light that's shining? Now, I'm gonna ask for our lights to come down for a moment. We can get the stage lights off as well. So Jesus said in verse 15, he said, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. He said, nobody does this. And yet I say, we do it all the time. This is kind of a regular habit that we have, that I have in my life. I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me. Um, It's as if we have dimmer switches on in our lives. Like our lives are programmed with dimmer switches. And there are moments where we like to shine brightly for God. Like at church sometimes, like, wow, this is great. You know, the worship music is amazing. You know, they're singing my favorite song. I love that. I might just be tempted to raise my hand or something. That's awesome. You know, the message is okay. So I may not fall asleep during the message or something. I'm going to, you know, shine my light brightly. 3G Saturday is coming up. I'm going to shine brightly when I'm out serving the community. You know, I may be going on a mission trip this summer. I'm going to shine brightly in Guatemala. It's going to be great. But maybe I don't want to shine as brightly at work around my coworkers. Maybe I don't want to shine as brightly uh, at, at home. Maybe I don't want to shine as brightly late on Friday night. You know, sometimes we turn our light for God down because we don't really want people to see that we're Christ followers. So we're tempted to have this dimmer switch in our lives and turn it up or down. Now answer this question. Where does light 
work best? In darkness. Great job, class. I'm proud of you. It's awesome. Like, you're like, really? I wish that, you know, my, my uh, questions on the test at school were this easy. So light shines best in darkness. Let me show you one of my favorite lights in my house. I wish I could light it up, but can you see what it is? Nightlight. Yeah, if you can't see, it's a little nightlight. Um, one of my favorite lights in my house. It's not a very bright light, um, but wow, at night, it works so well. It lights up the hallway for me to see. It keeps me from tripping over my dog on the way to the bathroom, stepping on one of my, my kids' toys, you know, and like maiming myself when I step on one of my son's Legos. I mean, it does so many things in the middle of the night, and it's just this little insignificant light. Reminder to all of us is that light works best in darkness. So my question to you is, what dark place do you need to shine your light in? What dark place do you need to shine your light in? You know, maybe that dark place for you is home. Maybe you're the only follower of Jesus at your home. Your family thinks you've, you've drunk the Kool-Aid, you've gone way too far, and you know, they don't really want to have anything to do with that whole part of your life. And maybe God is asking you to shine your light brightly, you know, to forgive, to love family members in those moments where maybe you say a wrong thing, to fix that, followed up by fixing that, making it right and shining your light for Jesus at home. Maybe that dark place for you is work. And I talk to some folks that say, man, my work environment is such a hard place, such a difficult place, such a dark place. I mean, there's so few people that, that really love Jesus there. You ever thought that may be the reason why you're there? To shine your light? And maybe you say, but I'm just like a little nightlight. I'm not all that bright. It doesn't matter. You're shining your light. Shine all the light that you have and ask God to give you more light to shine for him. And maybe your, your coworkers say, I don't want to hang out with that person anymore. I mean, they, they've changed since they've met Jesus. Like they don't talk the way they used to talk. They won't even go to the places that we used to go together. And you might be tempted to withdraw from them. And God says, you're the light of the world. So keep shining in that dark place. So what is your dark place where you need to shine brightly for Jesus. I'm gonna ask our lights to come back up. And I'm gonna ask you some closing questions, okay? So our worship team's about to come out and guide us through a final song. And as they do that, I want you to process through some of these questions that I've already asked today. So here, here they are. And I, I really challenge you this week, spend some time asking God every day this week, some of these questions, or whatever is applicable to you in your life. So here's the first question. God, how can I be salt and light this week? When you wake up in the morning, first thought I, I encourage you to have is, God, how can I be salt and light today? How can I add flavor to life? How can I help preserve someone around me? Is there an obstacle that I can remove today, an unnecessary obstacle that might keep someone from finding God? Help me to remove that for them. How can I shine brightly for others to see you? 
And then, what dark place do you want me to shine my light in? And Lord, give me the strength, give me the confidence to shine brightly no matter what happens in that environment. So I encourage you to process through some of those questions uh, during our closing song and then all throughout this week. And I hope you'll invite somebody to come back next week as we talk about being salt and light in an unjust world. So let's pray together. Lord, I love the practical illustrations that you give us in scripture. Uh, Like this, Lord, where you say, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And Lord, those things had real meaning when you said that. It still has real meaning for us today. And for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, we need to live every day as that salt. We need to add flavor. We need to help preserve people. We need to help them find you on the road of life. God, you've asked us to be light as well. You've asked us to shine brightly, not to to dim our light, not to hide it, but to shine brightly no matter where we are and live lives that will help people see Jesus. So Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us to do those things, not only this week, but for the rest of our lives. Lord, I pray every time we pick up a salt shaker, we'll think, I am the salt of the earth. Every time we flip on a light switch, we'll think, I'm supposed to be the light of the world. So Lord, I pray that you would use those very practical things in our lives to challenge us to be that for a world that you so desperately love. So guide us in this, I pray. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.